There's probably no greater attack, I think, today in the home than on fathers. We can see that all over the place. In fact, you can see even in our society how that there is a blatant attack on the leadership of a dad in the home. And if we're not careful, we're going to start giving ear to this stuff and start to back up on our God-given responsibilities. Uh, Dads can become disconnected. They They can become distant. I've known dads that have been abusive. And children start life believing that God is like their dad. And it just creates a great challenge in their life for how they even come to the Lord. And that I'm sure each one of you have, have uh, seen that in somebody's life. So why attack the father? Um, if, if the devil can get the father out of the home, and this has been a big uh, issue, even in the states, they're talking about the fatherless homes and the high crime rates and so forth and how they really relate one to another. There's been a research done in Switzerland and examining parental habits, religious habits, and how that transmitted to their offspring. And I had a lot of stats. I'm just going to give you two uh, for the sake of time here about church attendance. When mom is regular church attender, but dad never attends, the stats show that just 2% of their children become regular church attenders. And that's what's happening in churches today. But when dad is faithful, but mom never attends, 44% of the kids end up as regular church attenders. From 2 to 44. That just shows you children watch their dads. Children follow their dads. And I'm that, that's not slighting moms at all. I mean, mothers, you've done a great job, and, and I owe so much to my mother and how she has helped, helped me in my life uh, in great trials and, and battles. But I'm going to tell you something. The influence of a father is just so far beyond even the influence of a mother when it comes to making decisions for the Lord and moving forward. Dad, we have a great responsibility in our home. And I don't doubt that, you know, this is a, you know, this study probably isn't a fundamental study. I wouldn't doubt if that dad would be super faithful in serving God that we could probably raise that percentage up quite a, quite a bit, quite a bit. The bottom line is that in spiritual matters, kids take their cues from their dad. If dad doesn't go to church, chances are very slim that his children will become regular worshipers as well. Kids can see religion as a mum thing. That is a philosophy out there. In fact, I, I know that as I go door knocking, you know, uh, you, you see that philosophy coming through all the time where a dad will open up the door and I just had it this week again, you know, where you open up the door, oh, yeah, uh, I'll give that to my wife. That's the first response. I remember uh, in college, I just got so tired of hearing that. Finally, I just stopped the man in his tracks and says, hold on there. 
I says, this, this isn't about your wife. This is about you. And he's just, <laughs> they don't like to be called. They're like, come on, my video game's playing in the basement. You know? Where we're distracted. Yeah, hockey games, sports, whatever it is. Uh, my wife will take care of the spiritual things. You know? And many wives do. And I commend them for it. And, and I think if the dad won't, then mothers, you should. I mean, if dads won't read the Bible to the kids, then mothers read the Bible to the kids. I mean, don't give up because dad isn't doing what he ought to do. But I'll tell you something. If we can get dad on board, I think we'll have a huge revival in our families. And that's what needs to take place. That's where the battle is today. And we can see it all over the place. There's an attack on the structure of the home where now they're even trying to make it sound like if a dad claims leadership in the home, that family is a, is a breeding ground for abuse. And it's such a lie, such a lie. But anything to turn around the structure, anything for the rebellion to continue that Satan has initiated those many thousands of years ago. The greatest, most powerful truth that any person who does not know Christ needs to hear in order to be saved is this. God is a good father who desires, whose desire and plan is to bring back his lost children to himself. Satan knows that good fathers can pave the way for the gospel. And conversely, bad and absent fathers pave the way to separation from God. So we need to get back to our attended purpose, raising our kids in a way they should go so that when they are older, they will not depart from the way that they have been raised. And it's interesting because in Colossians and Ephesians, you'll have verses that come out like one says, fathers, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm saying, well, fathers, why is it all on me? <laughs> he's not saying it's all on you, but he's saying his dad this is your responsibility. So how our children are trained and raised is dad's responsibility. You will be responsible. There's nothing worse than a uh, father that gives up that responsibility and doesn't realize that you're going to actually pay the price for not fulfilling it. You know, just walking away from doing what you're supposed to do doesn't mean you relinquish the consequence of not doing it. And so I think we need to do it. Malachi 4 verse 1 says this. This is referring to a future day, the day of the Lord, um, a day of judgment. It says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you, that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. He shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. He shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great uh, coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It's amazing. That is his focus. This Elijah. Now we know Elijah 
doesn't necessarily mean Elijah. In fact, we know later on when there was a man by the name of Zacharias that had a son, and uh, the angel visited him, and he was telling him about the ministry of his future son, who was going to be John the Baptist. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in order to prepare for the Lord, the Bible says that the father's hearts have to be turned back to the children. That's a part of the preparation for Christ's return. And this Elias, this Elijah, the, the one that will come in the spirit of Elijah, we already know that John the Baptist was one of those, but he's not the only one because you've got to remember when, when Jesus came the first time, the people of Israel rejected him. But he did have a forerunner, and that forerunner came, came forth to prepare that way by turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children. But we know by their lack of faith that that Jesus could not set up the kingdom, and he knew he wouldn't be able to, and he knew that he had to go to the cross. I don't know how else it could have turned out. But we know there is a future return. It's called the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was a first coming, and now there's a second coming. And the second coming is also something that we're needing to prepare for, and that's what Malachi is talking about. And in the same way, he's going to send a prophet before him that will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. So the plan hasn't changed. Now, who this prophet is, many people think it's going to be Elijah himself because he never died. He actually was carried up in a chariot of fire. He never saw death, and the scripture says it's appointed every man once to die. And we know that those prophets that will be raised up during that tribulation time, uh, they will die. They will actually be killed in the streets and then be resurrected on the third day as well. And so they will be preaching and they will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children once again in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's the same thing for us today. The Lord wants us to prepare for his coming. We're supposed to live in light of Christ's coming. In fact, every day uh, you ought to get up and say, Jesus could come back today, so let's make sure we prepare for the coming of the Lord. And a part of that is turning your heart back to your children saying, what do I need to do to make sure my kids are right with God? What do I need to do to show them the leadership of a father to lead them into the paths of righteousness? Amen? That's what the Bible says. What, a, what an important truth. That's a, that's a timeless truth. That's a, the truth that we see from the Old Testament all the way through to the end, that the father's hearts must be turned back to the children once again. And when that happens, then revival comes to the family. And children, once again, get a burden on their heart to become preachers and missionaries and people that want to reach out and, and reach the world for Christ. Yeah. There's a great dearth in our world today. It's, it's different. Even from 20 years ago, we were seeing children that were coming out of their homes and they were saying, hey, I want to be a missionary. And they're being trained and sent out and, uh, and people that were called to preach. 
from all different walks of life. But today with the distractions and the, 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 the deadbeat dads and the, the dads that don't care about the things of God, the children no longer have that example, no longer have that motivation to go forward. Folks, you got to do that. Don't let your kids run your life. You've got to help them by making them go forward for God while they are within your care. Well, I just let them choose while well, you've just failed. Because they will choose according to the flesh every time. Until they have their own walk with God. And that takes a time to develop. <laughs> Amen. Got to have their own walk with God. The Bible tells us that we are created in God's image. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam and the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam and the day when they were created. So here you see in this passage, this is why many times the, the, the wife will take the name of the husband because it's the, the wife is identified with the husband's name. They were called Adam. When we do a, a, a message, a, a wedding vows and so forth, we did that with my son just recently at the end. It says, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Seth Friesen. And you can see all the woke people <laughs> freaking out. No, nobody freaked out at his wedding. <laughs> They're all invited. Amen. <laughs> you understand? Oh, how did, I'm going to keep my name. <laughs> Well, I understand some provinces, they don't let you take your husband's name. I think Quebec is one of those because divorce is so rampant, they'd want to spend all the money and all the time and energy having to change your name back. So they make you keep your name. My goodness, well, isn't that a mark on society? So I feel for folks like that. I do whatever you can to make it happen when you can, though. Adam was created in God's image, but Adam's children were begat after Adam's likeness, likeness and image. So when he had Seth, the Bible says that Seth was made after Adam's image. <laughs> the only problem is between God's image and Adam's image, something happened called the fall. And sin came into the world. And now we know all of our children after us bear that sin nature, and you know that. <clears throat> I've had people argue that. Oh, how can you call that little baby a sinner? Very easy. <laughs> All you got to do is have one and get woke up at three in the morning. <laughs> That's the biggest sinner in the house at that time. <laughs> they don't know what's good for dad. <laughs> I know children will cry for one reason or another. But it doesn't take long. They learn to cry for whatever reason they want. Oh, they're not hungry. They don't need a change. They don't need a burp. They just want dad to hold their hand. I remember my son Samuel. Can I embarrass him a little bit? <laughs> I'd put him to bed, put him in the crib, and he would not... I had to sit there, and he had to hold onto my finger. So I he grabbed my hand. This is how he... And I tried to pull my finger, and he just... Ah! So I had to put my finger back. So here I just got myself comfortable. Standing with my finger in my son's hand. <laughs> you know? Now I understand. Children need that comfort. They, they, they feel that security that someone is there. But it doesn't take long you realize your children, there's a little sin nature in there somewhere, <laughs> amen. They're working it out. They're getting their way and so forth. And then they get up to the terrible twos and then it's in full force. 
Anybody remember the terrible twos? You've all blocked that out of your memory. <laughs> oh, my. Our children will not only display the DNA characteristics and genetic similarities, but they'll also learn our attitudes. In fact, I think in the Bible talks about the third and fourth generation that our iniquities will visit us unto the third and fourth. That is not talking about DNA. That's talking practicality. That means the way you handle problems, the way you believe things, your lies, your manipulations are passed down to your kids. And that's why, oh, that's a chip off the old block. People say that. They learn your good behavior, but they learn your bad too. (laughs) And so that's why it's upon us as parents to learn for ourselves what our bad characteristics are so we can change them and, and then instill those good ones. And let's not get into this mentality, oh, you just do as I say and not as I do. Like a dad will be smoking cigarettes and say, kids, I never want you to smoke cigarettes. It's bad for your health and don't do what I'm doing. And they'll listen to you, they'll look at you, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to smoke cigarettes. Because they will do what you do, they will not do what you say. So make sure you do right. Amen. They'll handle problems like you handle problems. The pressures of life that come down upon you, that's why it's very important that you, when you face the pressures of life, you know how to handle it, right? Because your, your children will pick up those characteristics and how you handle it. So if you get all freaked out every time there's a pressure, or you get all out of sorts and the family goes up and blown up, that's what your children are going to do. This is how we handle problems around here. If you're an angry person, you're going to teach your children to be angry. Not only your children, but anybody that's in your life will learn anger through you. Even someone that used to be the most timid person. An angry husband that marries a timid wife and after years and years of that anger, that timid wife also starts taking upon herself the characteristics of anger because they learn it. This is how we get things done. But we can be free of that. The Bible says in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So here I am, I'm a son that doesn't know how to be a son. I'm a dad that doesn't know how to be a dad. I got this cursed sin nature in me that continues putting me first in front of everybody else in my life. And then God just says, why don't you just trust my son for salvation? In that process, he sends his spirit of his son into your heart. And that spirit is crying out to the father. Abba, father, daddy, daddy. And through that relationship that you learned that the son had with his father, you begin to learn what it really means to have a father and son relationship through that born-again, regenerated spirit. And so you change things. And you learn what a father really is. Now, where do we learn what a father really is? What's the example that we are going to, you know, follow? Well, I think you just got to go back to Genesis 1. Because God created Adam. And God took care of Adam. And God was a father to Adam. And Adam was a son to God. 
And it's pretty interesting when you look back at how, the, how God the Father took care of Adam in that garden. I'll tell you something. He did exactly what we as fathers need to do today for our kids. Now, the first thing he gave, God the Father gave Adam was a physical place. He gave him a place to be. And the Bible says in Genesis 2, 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The word garden, what is the word garden? The word garden actually means has a meaning to it, fenced in. So it wasn't just the whole earth. It was actually a portion of the earth where he fenced in. He says, this is your place. So what does a father do for a child? The first thing you need to do is provide a place. A garden. A fenced in place. For your son to live. And your children to live. And for them to enjoy and be a part of. Amen? God supplied a wonderful place for Adam. He loved Adam and he took interest in every aspect of Adam's life. I can just imagine what God the Father was like when he created all the animals and he, he, he said, Adam, he'll have a seat and I just want to show you everything I made. And he, he brings by him the rhinoceros and Adam looks at that and says, oh, that's a unicorn. <laughs> An elephant. And Adam the son is sitting down there excitingly at all these hundreds and thousands of animals. And as they're going by, he's saying, oh, I'm going to call that one a zebra. I'm going to call that one a gorilla. And God allowed him to name all the animals of the earth in that little garden. He took a keen interest in Adam. He wanted him to learn and he gave him the capacity to learn. That's why I say, Dad, really the responsibility for your children to learn is on you. And I know it's easy just to kind of say, hey, it's somebody else's. Can I just help you here? I'm not here to make you feel bad about this. But what I'm saying is this. As a preacher, this is what I know. That when you meet God, you will be responsible. He's not going to have a teacher's meeting. He's not going to call in the principal of the school he's going to call him dad yes, sir. he says I gave you a direct command to bring up these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord now what did they learn well that wasn't my department he says oh I made it your department mm-hmm. <laughs> when I gave you the commands amen yeah, like I say I don't say that to make people feel bad about you know, their choices but I do want to change things I'm sure it wasn't easy for John the Baptist to stand up to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children either. And when people stood up and gave the truth, when everything was going backwards, I mean, I'm sure there was some kind of a response. (laughs) Amen. But all I'm saying is this, guys. If we want to get back our families and we want to be what we need to be, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as a dad in the home. A garden is something in a specific spot. There was a whole lot of earth, but there was only one Garden of Eden. And that was given as a place for God's cherished creation, Adam. And I think we need to have a garden for our families. I'm not saying you've got to have an expensive home. It can be uh, any type of home. And what makes it a garden is not how much money it's worth. It's the, the, the uh, attributes that you put into that home. It's the, the spirit of that home. The things that 
make your children grow. It's a place of delight. You know the word Eden really means delight? It's a garden of delight. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight. When Christ comes into your heart, he changes the atmosphere of everything. A drunkard's home becomes a godly home. A fighting home becomes a peaceful home. A depressed home becomes a joyous home. That's what happens when Christ comes in. Amen? I don't know if you've ever seen the miracle of how God can transform a home from something that is dark and wicked and demonic and, and where God takes control and brings into it light and joy and, and peace. And, and, and you can just almost hear the angels singing. Amen? I remember in our first ministry, we'd, we'd have our little home there in, in Kenora. And Kenora was a very dark city. Anybody that lives there could probably attest to that. There's times I drove into that city after going away for a little while. I could almost feel it the moment I drove into the city. All of a sudden, it's like a boof. I says, we need to get home. And we get home, and all of a sudden, whoof, it's gone. There was time all kinds of things would happen around our home, spiritual activity, because the devil just hated us being in his territory. And if there is a seat of Satan within that area, it was that very city. And he did not like us there, and he showed me that many, many times. So I thought it was important enough for me to make a garden. (laughs) So I remember there was times where things would happen outside my window at night, and I would know what's going on, and I would many times I'd go out and I'd look. I was was so sick and tired of it, I was beyond scared. (laughs) I was just tired of it. I was mad, (laughs) you know. So in the middle of the night, whether it was a bear or a deer or whatever it was, I really didn't care. I was going to see, what is this? And I would go out and there's nothing there. And it just dawned on me, you know, this is more than just what you can see. And so I would go around our yard and I'd pray the boundary of our property. I'd say, Lord, this is yours now. This is yours. I dedicate this place to you. Devil has no right to be on my property. Sure enough, it all stopped. See, he thought he had a right to be there because we didn't make it a garden. But the moment I made it a garden that was kept by God and and protected by God, that's when all the, the negative influences left. You need to do that to your home. Dads, you need to do it. Don't let the, your, your wife do it. You do it. You as the authority of your home, you say, I'm going to make this home a place of delight for my family. The devil's not welcome here anymore. So whatever you've done in the past, just get over it and give your life to Christ and say, Lord, now this is yours. I give over ownership to you. And you pray around that property, say, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would have full control of every, every inch of our property. Pray through every room of your house and say, every corner of this house, every closet, every, every hidden place of this home, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would have complete control. Many times we have people coming into our home and they'd say, oh, it always just feels so peaceful when we come here. That's because we have a God of peace. Not a God of turmoil. That's why we don't allow wickedness, alcohol, and things like that and cursing and filthiness inside your garden. It's a protected place. Amen? Amen. Father provides a pleasant home. 
Jeremiah 3.19 says, But I said, How shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, Thou shalt call me father and shalt not turn away from me. See, that was God's desire to make it a pleasant land for them. He wanted them to so have a pleasant land for them to dwell in. They kept making such stupid choices. Notice that in the garden that all the trees were pleasant to look upon. Nothing there that's, oh, can't look at that. They're all pleasant to look upon. They all were pleasing to the sight. And our homes should look pleasant to our eyes. And by the way, Father, it's okay to ask your wife for some help in that. I can't make a house look too pleasant. <laughs> but our wives, you just have that knack. It's just, what did you do? It looks good in here. <laughs> oh, it just moved this three inches that way. It is a, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's not just the aesthetics of the room. It's the spirit. Why do children today look forward to moving out at 18 years old? They find no delight in the home they have. Father will make sure the home is a place of blessing, not a place of cursing. He'll make sure there's happiness and joy, not sadness and gloom. I'm not saying you don't have some situations you have to deal with. I'm not saying your, your children, you don't have to deal with them in a firm way and so forth. I'm not saying you walk around like tiptoeing through the tulips your whole life in the home. That's not what it's about. We have, there is a sin nature that each one of our children have and we have, and you will have to battle that all the time in your home. But what I'm saying is they definitely don't need the atmosphere of having an unpleasant home and a bad spirit there because that just makes it impossible for them to get past it. So you make this a goal. This is the kind of home we want. We want a home of peace. It's a father's responsibility. God the Father provided that for Adam. Adam didn't do that. God did. Amen. Adam just enjoyed it. <laughs> like our kids should enjoy our homes as well. He'll provide good surroundings that are clean, that are safe. Our homes ought to be a garden of Eden for our families. It's also a place of food. <laughs> you guys, sons, amen. Yeah. We've been having steak a little bit. We had some steak from a beef we had last, I don't know when we got it, last spring. And we got this barbecue my dad made for me, and we brought, finally brought it up, a charcoal barbecue. And I learned how to barbecue them things. And we put them all on there, and we sat down, and I said, that was good. You know, the, the garden, the place you provide for your families ought to also be a place of food. There's nothing wrong with that. Genesis 2.9, it says, Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when Christ enters, he provides for his own. Our children should be cared for physically. And I know my boys, man, they could eat me out of house and home. I could go buy $700 worth of groceries and then when I get home, I say, where are they? And all I see is wrappers and garbage bags full of empty. <laughs> no. I mean, they're kind of like our dog, Pippi, you know, you... It doesn't, she doesn't realize how full she is. You know, she's full and just sees you with food and it still comes at you. No, they're not that bad. <laughs> but our boys sure do like to eat. And so what we got to do is we got to provide food for them. And food that's going to make them strong and healthy. Amen. Not always potato chips. I know we got potato chips on our counter right now. 
That's an added blessing, amen? amen? Our children should be cared for physically. If we are right with God as fathers, we will always have food for our children. Always. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his home, for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Isn't that amazing? God's perspective. Why would God say that? Because God says, this is the example I set for Adam. I'll tell you, that first three or four chapters of Genesis, that is a manual for our lives. So many principles you can learn from that that keep you out of trouble. It's also a place of fellowship. Place of food, place of fellowship. Genesis 3.8, it says... And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When you receive God's spirit, you receive a heart for fellowship. Christians ought to fellowship. There's something wrong if you're always hiding away from everybody. There's a spiritual problem in your life. Okay, If you're hiding away from the people of God, it's not right. Because with the spirit of Christ and Abba Father comes also a spirit of fellowship. You love being around the people of God. They're different than you. They don't like all the same things as you. But for some reason, it's just good to be around the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's so important. That's why yesterday, I'm not here to dig at those that couldn't make it, but that's why yesterday, I was just looking around. I just love it, man. I love it. I just watching people laughing and just having a good time. And I'm not even preaching. (laughs) Amen. It's so good. It's so good. Sometimes after a service, I'll just kind of sit up front here and just watch everybody just just visit with one another. And I don't even want to come and talk to you because I don't want to get in the middle of what's happening there because that is such an important part of God's work here. It's vital. Don't be one of these last one in, first to leave. That's a spiritual problem. That's, that's not taking seriously the, the example that the Lord has set for us. The Bible, right from the start, in Acts 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine first and fellowship second. Acts 2, 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Not just unity for the sake of unity, like the world says, or the ecumenical movement says, you know, but unity around the doctrine of Christ. Unity around doctrine. See, if we break over doctrine, that's just the way it's got to be. But if we all have the same doctrine, then why is there a broken fellowship? Something's not right there. Amen? I've had to break off with a lot of people that don't believe right. <laughs> you still be civil with them, but they just, you cannot be intimate. You can't have an intimate fellowship with people. And you know, God, every day would come down with Adam. They believed the same thing. They were on the same plane. And you know what? In the cool of the day, Adam would hear, oh, God's here. And he'd run over and he'd just start walking with the Lord. That's the way it ought to be for us. Dwelling together in unity. Amen. One mind, one spirit, one mouth, glorifying God. Fathers, today, 
many times are challenged not to talk to their children and spend time with them because of busyness, working too hard, too many hours, whatever it may be, distractions, hobbies, whatever it may be, and you're not spending time with your kids and you've got to fellowship with them. I love spending time with my boys and girls. I love it. Me and Madeline are always joking because we have the same sense of humor. You get us together, it's just, it can be pretty bad. <laughs> it's almost like we know what each other's thinking and we both crack up and laugh. Everybody's looking at us. That's fellowship. I love being with my kids. Now that, uh, you know, two of them are married and off, I'm just, you don't want to be too uh, possessive here. And <laughs> Why don't you guys come over every night? Well, I tell you, when they do come over, sure good. Sure good. It's no wonder that when the world comes offering our children fellowship, that they take it sometimes. I'm going to tell you something, and this is true, and you can ask anybody that has gone through a hard battle in their life, and maybe with sin, maybe they were on the edge of just throwing it all away, and ask them what kept them on the right side. You know, your time with your children, whatever you do, it could be just going to the park, it could be having an ice cream cone, it could just be you know, sitting on the deck and talking together, it could be just throwing a ball, it could be whatever, whatever you do. Every time you spend time with your kids, what's happening is a cord is being developed between their heart and yours. And the more time you spend, the stronger that cord becomes. And when you spend time with them as a young age and keep doing that as they grow up, one day the world's going to come along and the world's going to offer them all kinds of things. And that sin nature they have, it's going to be tempting. And they're going to, oh, this, this is, I feel I need this and, and so forth. But I'll tell you something. If you've got a strong bond to that heart and the world tries pulling at that heart, it's, oh, they're not as easy as they should be. And you know, that's what's happening today with, the, with children in the home is the devil is weakening the bond between the hearts of the parents and the kids so that when the devil comes by with his platform of the world, he just draws them and they just easily come. Oh, you don't think the devil's involved like that? (laughs) He's a military strategist. He's far wiser than you are. And he doesn't just fight for you today. He fights on generational basis. He'll do things in mom and dad's life this generation so he can get your kids next generation. That's way beyond our strategies. (laughs) We can't get past next week. Amen? So we have to be on board with this. We have to understand what it's going to take to build a strong family and to have that bond built with our family. Whether it be husband, wife, same thing. You've got to do things together. You've got to fellowship together. You've got to become friends. Nothing ought to tear you away from your, your spouse. God desires fellowship with his kids. That's what it's always been about. In fact, that's his whole purpose. At the beginning of the Bible, he was walking in the garden. At the end of the Bible, he's walking in the garden. That's what it's all about. What happened in between? Sin. Thousands of years of God dealing with our sin to get us back to the same place where we began. With the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first Adam, we all die. In the second Adam, we all are made alive. (laughs) Amen. Amen. He did that for us. It took thousands of years to work out that plan. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. 
Why did he deliver them? I just want to show how great I am. No, because I want you to be with me. See, I couldn't be with you when you were in Egypt because I don't go dwell in places like that. That's a garbage pit to me. I want to bring you to a promised place. I want to bring you to a garden. And I want you to be a part of that garden. I want you to clean up that garden. You read Isaiah chapter 6 and, or Isaiah chapter 2 and it talks about how the garden, all the fences are broken down and so forth. He says, go in there and clean it up. He wants us to live in that garden with him. Amen. Our home should be where we dwell together unified. We should talk about things that matter. The will of God for their lives. Let's talk about the pressures they're going through because there is such a thing as sin. It's not all la-di-da, everything's great. Your kids are battling. How many of you told your parents what you really felt like? How many of you had parents that actually asked? How many of you that didn't have parents that would ask would have actually said something if your parents would have asked you the right questions? How many of you had things you didn't understand and were battling with and you were really wanting the answers but you didn't know where to find them? That's where parents come in. Not judgmentally, not just to get on their case because they love them and they want to be close to them. Amen? The changes they're experiencing. You ought to know what's happening in a teenager's life, in a teenager's body. That's the worst thing for a, for a teenager whose parents don't care and they're going through all these things. It's like I'm an alien from outer space. It's no wonder why the devil uses those opportunities to plant ideas in their head that you're a girl, you're a boy, you're not a girl, you're not a boy, whatever it is. It's because mom and dad are not there to raise up their kids and teach them the truth even about those uncomfortable things of life. The devil maximizes on the ignorance. That's where he operates, in the darkness. Amen? Talk about the things they've accomplished. Learn how to praise them when you can. Amen? They may do a thousand wrong things. If they do one good thing, you just praise them to no end about that one thing. Sure, deal with the other 999, (laughs) you know. But at least you can praise them for something. It's amazing. You can just praise them for one thing. Oh, a famous uh, uh, general in the, in the British Army uh, was passing away, and this man was known for his, I forget the name, but he was known for his aggressive training and just, just really militant leadership. And he was asked, what would you do different if you could do it all over again? He looked, he looked at that person and says, I would praise my men more. So one thing you want to do is come to the end of your life with your children and realize you, all you did was get on their case and you never praise them for the great things that they did. You know, there's some children that are actually, they thrive on praise. They're the kids, when they jump on the bike the first time, Dad, watch! Watch! And their arms and legs are all over the place and they're, you're just, <laughs> you know, watch me, Dad! <laughs> you know, just, okay, don't worry about me, just focus on the road. <laughs> you know what they're wanting? Good job! They hear that? They just pumped right up. Learn to praise your kids. When you can, don't praise them for stupid stuff. You know, sometimes parents, I'm just like, 
what are you praising for that for? <laughs> you know, like, that was wrong. You should slap them, <laughs> you know. But, you know, when they do something good and something honorable, show honor. Honor them for it. Amen. When they finish their school, when they do their graduations, whatever, have the graduation. You know, we've always been around homeschoolers. My first ministry, our whole church really homeschooled. We brought our youth group from 12 years old all the way through to 18. And when there was uh, someone that graduated through homeschool, oh, what's a big deal? It doesn't mean anything. It means everything. In the church, we'd have a graduation ceremony. And they would come in with their robe and everything. And it was a church thing. It was a church family thing. And it was an honoring of the work that they did. And it meant a lot. Amen. Honor your kids. And by the way, show up to their graduation if it wasn't homeschool too. Because <laughs> it's still honoring them. And they, they're looking for you there. Yeah. Amen. Take time to appreciate everything they do. The little drawings they make, the cards they write to you. I still have a stack in my, in my drawer of little cards that my kids have given me. Just out of nowhere. Hey, Dad's a card. Oh, interesting. I don't know what it is, but it's great. <laughs> you know, It means something. They love you. It's all about that dwelling together, that fellowship in that garden. Amen. So important. That's all.